You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Well, hello. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, December 7th, 2022, and this is our 342nd episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, we are back at our studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn, in the backyard of Roberta's. And I'm so excited to have my guest who's joining me. He is an outstanding Austrian-born and hotel-bred chef. And I will introduce them fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip. Then later, we'll have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solar dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to let our travels inspire us. Yes, the world is full of beauty and magic that can fill our souls and give us purpose as instantly as a New York minute if we are open to it. Traveling to new and exotic places can not only bring experiences that will inspire, but create memories for a lifetime. So let's give it a go and grab our passports and see what life has in store for us, both near and far. The wonders of the world await. That's my tip today. Okay, I'm really thrilled to have my guest joining me here in the studio. It is Marcus Glocker. He is the chef and partner at Coloman, a contemporary French restaurant where he blends Parisian creativity with Viennese tradition in an iconic nomad location. And he recently received three stars from the New York Times. Marcus is Austrian born and hotel bred. After attending culinary school in Linz, Austria, he tra- traversed Europe and America's finest kitchens in search of experience spending valuable years working alongside acclaimed chefs, including Charlie Trotter in Chicago and Gordon Ramsay in London and New York. And it received two Michelin stars during that time under his tenure. Marcus's passion and high standards have earned him many accolades, including a coveted Michelin star, more three stars from the New York Times and from New York Magazine. And in May of 2015, as executive chef and owner of Batard Restaurant in New York City, he was awarded Best New Restaurant in America by the James Beard Foundation. Without further ado, hi, Marcus. Welcome to the show. Hi, Shari. That was a long introduction. (laughs) Well, I wanted to get it all in there. I wanted to let people know how fabulous you are just right off the bat. (laughs) Thank you so much. Great to be here. Well, it's really great to have you. And actually, just as I was, it just dawned on me, we were talking for the show about talking and interviewing, but it was at the James Beard Awards um, on the red carpet, I believe, that at least we have a photo together, but I think we had a we little do. conversation. So that was a big, big moment when you guys... It was 2015, I think it was, no? When we had uh, the James Beard Awards, yes. Yeah. With uh, Batard Restaurant, which was uh, quite an, an amazing experience. I, w- I always heard about James Beard Awards. You know, I used to work for Charlie Trotters. He was a multi, uh, multi-winning multi James Beard Award winner. So it was 
in stunning experience to be a part of that whole uh, uh, community and actually being there and winning on top of it was, uh, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, it's incredible. And I remember it was incredible being there with, with you, all of you, and celebrating. Um, but we're jumping ahead a little bit. So let's go back to the beginning. Um, I always like to start with my guests and find out how they got into the industry. So you wanna you wanna take us back a little bit to this hotel background? Yeah, so my family, I mean, my my aunt uh, has a hotel, as you can picture it in Austria, it's basically on the mountain. There's a couple of cows around. <laughs> there is uh, 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 about 60 rooms in the hotel. And you know, it's very traditional. There's live music. It's a really picturesque Austrian kind of hotel. Uh, it's very traditional. It's not nothing fancy. It's like my aunt in the kitchen. There's maybe one or two other people in the kitchen, and uh, you know they were serving about 200 people a day. Um, and I was uh, lucky enough to work down my holidays at a very early age to be a part of the service team. My grandfather was, uh, you know, brewing beer, and my aunt was cooking, and I was helping out to to serve uh, beverages and you know s selling breads and all the kind of things. And at the same time, I helped out as well. Uh, all around the building as well so to to, to see all the aspects of the uh, hospitality industry um, my aunt has no uh, they had no kids so uh, they uh, proposed to me when i was 18 years old to uh, take over uh, the hotel and i said uh, hell no uh, <laughs> i was not seeing myself with 18 years old uh, somewhere in a mountain uh, running a hotel so i just uh, you know i wanted to experience the world i wanted to see uh, new places and then i started my journey of uh, moving to Germany, London, and many other places. Amazing. What, I mean, what was a, a highlight of, of the European restaurants or places you worked in? I, you know, I, I did my military service that was uh, mandatory in Austria. So after that, I actually left. I just did my apprenticeship in Austria, which was in a place called uh, Ramada Hotels back in the time. It's a, uh, it's a very, uh, as you know, here in the US, it's a very simple hotel but everything was cooked fresh uh, at the time. And it was really like a, 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 a Russian executive chef, I remember. Yechko uh, uh, was his name. He was uh, ruthless in the kitchen, let's put it this way. But he teached us a lot. And uh, he sort of gave me the appetite to, to learn more. And when I finished my, uh, my military service, I went to the Hotel Fialszeiten in Munich, which was at that point one of the best hotels in Germany. Uh, which had a Michelin-style restaurant in there as well, Walterspiel. And uh, so that's how my journey started. The first time I saw caviar, the first time I saw again, uh, foie gras, uh, those kinds of things. And the chef there, Andreas Meyer, really uh, nurtured me. He took me under his wings and, uh, you know, he teached me for two years and then he sent me off to the next person. And that was sort of a, a, a journey I, I had until I was working with Gordon Ramsay. And even then uh, with Gordon Ramsay, he nurtured me as well to uh, take over uh, at that time in uh, New York, the London Hotel, uh, for a while. But uh, after that, I wanted to do my own uh, uh, sort of journey. And luckily, I, I found a, a great partner at that time, which was John Winterman and uh, Drew Nieporent, who partnered up to uh, open a restaurant called Batard. Amazing. I have to back up again what, quickly, that was fast, though. I know. <laughs> no, no, that was wonderful. But we have to talk a little about Charlie Trotter. Yes, absolutely. Because I I worked there. I think you know that. Of I was a server there in 1997, mm -hmm. 96, 97. And um, you were there in the early 2000s? 2000s yes. Okay. Um, 
That was was that before or after Gordon Ramsay? That was, I uh, I worked twice for Gordon Ramsay. Uh, all in, I was working for about ten years okay. for him. Okay. The first time I was working, uh, we opened a place in London called uh, Claridge's Hotel, uh, Gordon Ramsay Claridge's, which was absolutely amazing. And then I left and I actually went back to Munich. Uh, did a stint with uh, Eckhart Witzigmann, uh, the only three-star chef in Germany back in the time. Uh, and then I got, uh, I always wanted to go to Charlie Trotters, but it was very hard to get the visa. And Charlie was not very easy uh, to uh, take somebody on from Europe at that time either. So he made me fly over there three times. Oh, uh, wow. I, I always love to tell this story because my dad was like really uh, saying to me like, why I'm doing this? And I said, like, I don't care why. I want to go there. I want to work there. So I flew to Chicago three times um, to stash there twice. One time was like just to, uh-huh. to see the city. But twice he made me stash and then he was saying to me, now I know you're serious enough to work for me. And then I actually uh, filed all the paperwork and actually I, I got over there. And there was not many many Europeans working at Charlie Trotters at that time. Yeah, I'm um, thinking back from my time and I, there was yeah, not, you're right. Not a single one as I, I can recall at that time. So I sort of appreciated this about him as well, about Charlie, that he was very adamant and serious about, you really want to do this. It's not just like coming over here and like uh, trying to do it. It's like you you want to be a part of this team. And uh, when I saw Bill Kim and Giuseppe Tentori and Matt Merges, all these people in the kitchen in one one Mm -hmm. room, I knew I want to be there. How long were you there then? I was about two years there because, yeah, two years was the visa. Well, we overlapped. I mean, Matt... Matthias, I mean, he was there when I was there. I mean, a lot of people were there for a while. But um, and the movie just came out that I think you you saw, I saw as well. Yes, I saw. Um, there's a wonderful documentary out now called "Love Charlie: The Rise and Fall of Chef Charlie Trotter," and the producer Rebecca Halpern, she's going to come on my show oh, um, in February. But I also I heard about this through Ray Harris. Yes. Um, who was a regular <laughs> at Trotter's, and that's how I know him. Yeah, and regular at Charlie Trotter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and it's a, yeah, so it's. Um, yeah, I mean, first of all, I mean, uh, Ray Harris, uh, dear to my heart. Uh, I I was 24 years old at the time when I was working at Charlie Trotter's. That was my age, too. Yeah, so yeah. from that age on, Ray Harris still remembered every single person who worked in his kitchen and moved on to do something great. And he still supports everybody to come to the restaurant, to check in, to write an email, a text, hey, congratulations. I mean, it's, 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 a very special, it's a very special connection between not just Charlie, but between Ray Harris, Charlie, and the whole community, all the, all the professionals who used to work for Charlie. It's, it's quite amazing. Yeah, I feel, I feel, I mean, it was a very, it was a hard job. I mean, you know that. I mean, it was a it was a challenging job, but I I'm so grateful I had that experience, and I feel very lucky to be a part of that Same alum, year. that Charters alum. So, um, okay, so then you're in New York, and you opened Batard with, uh, with, with Drew, Drew and, and another Winterman, yes, another Charlie alum. <laughs> Absolutely, John was there quite a, a bit earlier than I was there. Uh, John always says like he was there in the good years. <laughs> I was laughing about that, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, he's uh, uh, you know we had the same uh, sort of idea what we wanted to do with Batard, and uh, you know, again, Drew had this beautiful space uh, available, and it was quite a journey as well to really put this together. It was not so much about actually the design of the restaurant or like the real concept. It was really about service, great food, great wine. 
and let's make this as good as we can. And that's what that was the concept. And it really worked out. Yeah, it did. I mean, it was very special and very successful and wonderful, wonderful what you guys brought to Tribeca. Um, and then you were also, for a time before the pandemic, also working with Augustine. Yes, I took a, a, a consulting role on for Augustine uh, for the kitchen part. And, you know, I... I know, obviously, Keith McNally for a long time, but it, but it was more about like uh, when this opportunity came came along. I I loved the space of Augustine. For me, yeah, it was for it's... me it was this was sort of setting the the tone for me as well for quite a while. For actually, what I'm doing at Coleman as well now. I always wanted to have these two worlds together. Paris and Vienna was for me always a thing. I wanted to uh, uh, sort of melt together. Cuisine-wise, there's so many similarities anyway, but I do think from a, from a concept design and beverage point, uh, it's just a very unique uh, uh, feel. Austrian wines, French wines, the food, it's, it's, it comes all very easily together with the right uh, ambience. And I think Augustine had a very good ambience for that as well. So I did my first uh, 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 steps there with the menu as well, which I wanted to uh, influence a little bit of, of uh, Viennese cuisine as well, but not overly... Uh, Thriving in a way that is just Viennese. It was French Viennese. Um, and I really had a, a great time uh, cooking in this kitchen. And uh, the, the people just felt well in the dining room. It wasn't all just about the food. It was just really about you You go there and you feel good and you have a bite to eat and wine. Uh, I always say it's not always uh, the chef's, uh, uh, you know, the chef's uh, uh, must try that the food is everything in the restaurant. It's, it's not everything in the restaurant. The restaurant is... Uh, as a whole, there's so many different aspects of it. And I truly have to say uh, with uh, McNally's touch about lighting and everybody knows he's, he's mm -hmm. a great eye for this, it brings it together and it was a, it was a very nice experience. 100%, I agree with everything you said. Um, <laughs> it's so true. Yeah, he's, he's really a master of creating a room that has uh, the right lighting and the right energy and, and you were bringing the, the right food. It was, uh, yeah. It was it was great that you were you were doing that for for that time. So this is a good segue though into Coleman where you're at now. And so what the when when did the idea or you were you started working on or looking for your own space and like I mean it, Yes, I looked obviously everybody had the same uh, problem with the pandemic and obviously it was a very tough time for a lot of uh, people in our industry. Um, but I sort of used that time as well. I had the idea of what I wanted to do for a long time and I, I couldn't follow through in a certain way with, you know, not every space is made for, for every type of restaurant. So I knew I needed a, a space which has high ceilings, has sort of a grander European look, uh, but as well has good bones that, that you actually financially can succeed as well in the future. So uh, I was on the hunt for that space and when... Uh, when the space of the Breslin came along, which uh, I was lucky to uh, work together with a, a group called EHV, um, when I had my business plan ready, there was a different name attached to the business plan, actually. The name of the, uh, uh, the restaurant I wanted to initially open was Vienne, but we all agreed that that's not might be not the, the smartest name to call a restaurant Vienne since you want to do French and uh, uh, Viennese cuisine together. People might be a little bit confused by it. So, however, we worked together. We had a branding agency and we really brainstormed about different names and uh, how can we get these two uh, uh, cuisines together in a name which maybe the design part is inspired by Vienna, but the food part is inspired by something else. So, with the space, the bones, the location, I said, 
this is it. And we started uh, working on the space. It took us about a year to get everything done since it's obviously a landmarked uh, building and oh, there's a lot landmarked. of uh, okay there's a lot of hurdles you have to overcome yeah uh, you know but it's again that's the character of new york that's an old building that's what i wanted uh to restore to restore the ceiling to to keep some sort of uh, a flair to the space which everybody pretty much enjoyed even when they went to uh, breslin back yeah. in the time it was always a great space uh, to hang out a lot of industry people uh came there even after service have to have to beer together and brainstorm and talk and that's sort of that feeling I wanted to uh, uh, recreate in the space with obviously a different kind of food and different kind of concept, but uh, that was the that was the target. And then obviously we had at the lucky uh, uh, lucky moment that Katya Sharnago, uh, you know, our new beverage director from Le Bernard, then uh, yeah. she was in the market, so I said like, okay, we need to get uh, Katya on board since that would be the missing link for for the concept as well. So she's just phenomenal in French wine and in Austrian wines specifically. So that being said, you know, the concept came uh, together from a, from a beverage standpoint, food standpoint and design. Yeah, no, it all makes sense. And I mean, having, having gone and dined there and had a fabulous, fabulous meal, Thank dinner, um, and the space is wonderful. And I love the, I love the open kitchen or the, the seeing the pass. Um, yeah. You don't really see, it's not totally open kitchen, but you kind of see in there a little bit. Um, but I would say when I walked in, having been to the Breslin, the space to me was unrecognizable as the Breslin. Like you really changed it up. Um, and and I thought that was amaz- amazing that, you know, it's still, as you said, I had the bones, but you were able to really create a new, a new restaurant. Yeah. Um, and the location, Nomad, Fantastic. So it's it's awesome that you, you found this spot. Um, going back to the name Coloman, what, is, what does it mean? So Coloman is actually, uh, Coloman Moser used okay. to be uh, the founder of the, one of the founders of the uh, Viennese Secession or Wiener Werkstätte, which was Gustav Klimt and Hoffmann. And that was a design movement uh, in the late 1800s. And we basically used that sort of design element for the space as well. All the wallpaper, we have uh, all the lighting came from Vienna. Uh, it's the same design, the original design just built oh, for us again. Neat. There's about 52 yeah. lamps in the whole uh, uh, space, which are all niche and corners and the lighting is perfect. Uh, but the design of the actual uh, lamps is sort of the original design of Coleman Moser. And so if that gives it, you know, that's certain yeah. touch. You know, that's that's what we went for. Well, that makes sense. And for people who need a visual of what the, what we're saying, it's it's a K K O L O M A N Coloman. Yeah, it's not, not it's not necessarily the easiest name it is, is out there, but you know, it's 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 sort of like I wanted to be a little uh, provocative as well with yeah. the name. Yeah. That uh, that might be uh, people might recognize the name and and people uh, will remember it. Yeah, I think it's great. Okay, let me ask you my question for my last guest because this kind of ties in here. Um, on episode 341, I had on Ben Leventhal. He's the founder and CEO of Blackbird Labs, a new loyalty membership and payments technology company. And he's also the co-founder and former CEO of Resi and the co-founder of Eater. So he kind of knows stuff about restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> sure. so, so his question is... 
How does the clientele in Nomad differ from, from the clientele that you previously had in Tribeca, as well as other neighborhoods? Does the neighborhood inform the way you design the menu, space, the style of service? And if so, how did you use Nomad to form your new restaurant? It's a good question. It's a very good question. Um, I mean, I'm a big believer. If the product is good, people will, will come to you. Uh, it's mostly doesn't really matter where you are. If the product is really sensational, the people will travel to you. I mean, we look at uh, Montrachet from Tronipur and back in the time, he opened a sensational restaurant uh, at that time and, and people traveled to Tribeca, which was at that time not necessarily the best neighborhood. And I, I, I do think that's, that comes uh, to this day, I think it's, it's, it's true. If the product is good and uh, you have something to sell which people want, people will travel to you. The only thing I would say is very different is like, you have to position yourself which uh, which clientele you really want to attract in the demographic. So Nomad is, is quite young uh, right now. It's, it's very fast paced, it's very busy. There's a lot going on on the, on the streets. There's a lot of walking business as well. So that's maybe sometimes a little bit challenging to get like this, the real diner who wants to have three, four courses to the person who is just popping in for a glass of wine and, and wants to have some oysters. But again, that's the beauty of us to figure this out as, as uh, the service team to to bring these these two worlds together and like still make it a, a, still make it feel good for for either way of the diners. You know, that's sort of the the way I see it. However, I I do love the nomad uh, area because it was sort of a little rough around the edges back in the time. Uh, during the pandemic, actually, it got rough again. Yeah, and when I it's interesting you say that because I remember when I moved to New York in the ninety eight. And those, I mean, those early years, I didn't, that neighborhood was, yeah, yeah it wasn't what it best. is today. Yeah. And the pandemic, it did kind of revert a little bit, but it's, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of amazing restaurants and hotels and I mean, it's a very beautiful, wonderful happening neighborhood. Absolutely. My thinking was this, like Ace Hotel 11 years ago, or was it even more than that? When they opened up, sounds around some, right, some, some, some yeah, like, something like that. So I, I thought they put Nomad the area on the map. They and really did. After that, the Nomad Hotel came, and after that, many other restaurants came. And I thought, like during the pandemic, uh, this was all gone. Mm-hmm. And I thought to be a part of this neighborhood again to to really elevate yeah. this again, which is now the Net is taking over the Nomad. We took over the. The present space. There's Andrew Camellini opening something around the corner as and well. And Jose Andres Jose across Andres, the street. Yeah. The Virgin Hotel. I, I think the whole area is like is like ready to to accommodate all guests and, and and businesses again, and it's just very exciting to be a part of that. Yeah. No. Absolutely. So talk a little about your menu and what your what's what's been popular signature dishes or. I mean, it's all your souffles and your yeah, it's, fantastic salmon and croute. Am I saying that right? Yes, you are. Yes. Yeah, the menu was uh, something I wanted to have a little bit of technique in there. And I, I want to have a little bit of, of fun doing things behind the scenes as well. But in the same time, I wanted to be very, very clear and uh, focused on like not putting myself on the plate as a, as a chef, I wanted to make sure that the f- people have a good time and, and the, the comeback for dishes they want to see again for like the souffle or the souffle for two for desserts. Um, the salmon and crude is not the salmon and crude you expect. Uh, it's, it's a fun way to put this together. But again, it's not intimidating. It's, it's something recognizable and 
and people feel comfortable eating that. And that was a very big factor for me, putting this restaurant together. It should not be intimidating to go to Coleman and, and, and see like, uh, do I have to dress up or should I dress down or can I eat it like this? Or do I have to ask somebody how to eat it? It was very important for me. Everybody can be themselves. And that's a part of the, the whole concept as well. So when we have like the schnitzel on the menu, you know, the schnitzel is, you know, it's an Austrian classic, everybody does it. But again, it's a very difficult dish when you do it the way we do the Coleman and clarified butter fried, you know, shallow fried and clarified butter. We have the potato salad just made before service, everyday fresh, never goes into the fridge. So it preserves the flavor, gets freshly done the next service. Uh, there's a lot of work going into very simple dishes, but I believe what I was very proud when I read the, the New York Times review was that actually Pete Wells, I think he saw that aspect of how simple the food was, but he saw as well how much work we put into it. And it was very, yeah. uh, it was very, uh, uh, very nice to see. Oh, it's amazing. No, congratulations. It was a really wonderful review. You've gotten a lot of really wonderful reviews and well-deserved. Um, and I don't know, for some reason, the salmon dish does it. I don't tell me if I'm wrong, but it reminds me a little like if there was an influence from Trotters from that dish. Yes. I mean, there's, there's a lot of influences from a lot of different chefs I used to work for. Uh, they certain ideas and aspects you're going to take. Of course, Charlie was a master of seafood. I mean, there's, I've, I've rarely seen people uh, working with seafood like Charlie did back in the time, you know. I mean, I remember my first time I opened a box of fish from the Skiji market, which was flown in, as you remember, twice a week. Yeah. And <laughs> I remember the invoice, like it was like $2,100. And I think there was four fish in there. And I couldn't believe that somebody's paying that much for fish. And this was in 2003 or four. So just just to, to work with the fish like this and that Charlie allowed you to actually put your hands on a product like this with uh, 24 years old was, was was quite good, you know? And so that's how I learned to, to work with fish and, and seafood and definitely those as aspects of curing fish, which is a big part of this uh, on crew dish as well, I, I got from Charlie, yes, absolutely. Yeah, well, it's cool. But yeah, you have a lot of, a lot of places you got experience and influence to then creating your dishes and doing what you're doing today. Um, which, which is why also with my tip, I was, I was actually, there was, I was, when I was thinking of my tip, there's a quote you have on your website about travel and inspiration. That's kind of what I was thinking to, of tying it together because yeah. travel, you know, you're saying it really has inspired and influenced. Exactly. You. And everybody wants to share the stories on, on, on the table. And, uh, what is really the restaurant's purpose is like to bring people together. They have a good conversation. They have great food. And they leave and, and talk about it uh, to their friends and hopefully come back uh, whenever they feel like. And, and exactly that essence of a restaurant we, we wanted to create again. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. What, um, before we take a break, like what advice would you give to someone who wants to be a chef or restaurateur and have their own place? Um, it's, it's, it's difficult, but, you know, it's, it's hard times right now in, in the hospitality industry. There's a lot of curveballs uh, left and right, but... I, I romanticized the, the, the hospitality business the same way as when I was 15 years old. And, you know, I'm, I'm over 40 years old now. I, I still do it. So it's, it's a longevity. It's, it's, you, have to, you have to work on it for a long time to get to the point where you want to be. And it's, again, everybody says it, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. But it is a marathon. And if you stick to it and you're going to work hard, uh, it will come. Great advice. And on that note, let's take a little break. Great. Uh, we will come back. We'll play my speed round game, talk some industry news, 
I have my solo dining experience in the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. When we say Heritage Radio Network is listener-supported radio, we mean we can't make the episode you're listening to right now without your donations. Keep All in the Industry on the air and help us reach our 2022 fundraising goals before December 31st by donating to HRN Today at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Every dollar amount helps fund this show as well as 30 other HRN podcasts. And as our gift to you, when you donate $90 before the end of the year, you'll receive a limited edition shirt designed exclusively for HRN listeners by graphic artist Chema Scandal. Help us reach our year-end goals by making a tax-deductible donation either as a one-time gift or as a monthly sustaining contribution at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. All donors become HRN members and get first notice of special events and food radio insider news updates. We thank you for your support. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Marcus Glocker. He's the chef and partner at Coloman in the nomad neighborhood of New York City. And it is time for my speed round game. So what this is, is I'm going to name a couple things and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Ready? Great. Let's do it. Okay. Here we go. Eat in at home or eat out at a restaurant? Eat out at a restaurant. Indoor dining or alfresco dining? Indoor. Wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Champagne. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Um, tipping. Okay, a couple more. Schnitzel or strudel? <laughs> uh, I would say strudel. <laughs> strudel. Okay, you, I know you make two, but you make them both great. <laughs> um, another one that might be uh, a tough one for me to choose. Well, maybe not. I don't know. Cheese souffle or chocolate souffle? Uh, definitely a cheese souffle. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I was thinking about it. I'd probably do the chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Which leads to my final last two. The last um, 
We have um, cheese plate or dessert. Dessert, absolutely. And Manhattan or Brooklyn? Uh, Manhattan. Wow, that was that, that was you got the speed of the speed round. That was great. <laughs> um, very cool. And I was thinking with the alfresco question, um, you don't could you have alfresco dining at the at your restaurant at Coloman, or is the Ace not set no, up we, for that? We could. Uh, okay. we, we would build something if it's necessary, but, but uh, I think the space is the space in certain aspects of a dining experience. You have to be in the space to to yeah. get the whole to get the whole experience. Yeah, I get it. Um, well, cool, great. That was the game. <laughs> so for industry news this week, I picked out an article. It was on a bunch of publications, but the one I have was in Bon Appetit, and it's entitled. This is the full list of California restaurants that kept, earned, or lost Michelin stars in 2022. Everything to know about the restaurants in Michelin's 2022 California Restaurant Guide. This was by Nico Avail. And just the other day, this was announced, the California Michelin um, Michelin Guide, um, who got stars, who got stars taken away. Um, just, yeah, I talk about, I tend to the show be very New York City centric when things happen. And so I figured, well, let's, uh, this was big news for West Coast. And um, it was talking about how there's now a total of seven three-star restaurants um, in California. They, a new three-star is Addison, which is in San Diego. So congratulations Amazing. to them. And they have, um, 12 restaurants were awarded two stars. That was um, compared to 14 last year. And there are 70 restaurants received a single star up from 65. And they said 80, they now have 89 restaurants um, in Michelin on this list. And that says protecting California's reputation as the nation's largest hub of Michelin starred restaurants. Um, so I don't know. I thought it'd be, well, first of all, congratulations to everyone. Um, and I thought it'd be cool to talk with you about it, like as someone who has a, as a chef in a restaurant and with Michelin, like, what do you, I mean, what's your take on this? Like how, how important are stars or, or how do you, I mean, how do you feel about Michelin? <laughs> how do you feel about Michelin? I mean, I came up with uh, restaurants, the over Michelin star driven from Gordon Ramsay and uh, even with Charlie Trotters at that time, there was no Michelin guide in Chicago, but again, he had two stars uh, at the time. Um, Eckert Witzig won three stars. Uh, I, I always cooked in Michelin star kitchens, but not necessarily just because the admission stars. I, I knew there was a certain standard attached to it. And I think that's some, what chefs are looking for is uh, when you are a young chef and you want to work in a place, you know what's the standard attached to, to the stars and what's the, who's telling you this restaurant is good. It cannot just be the guest. It has to be a certain uh, a proclaim to it. And I think that Michelin was what is in that uh, perspective, still the leading uh, uh, the leading source of, of going to those restaurants, especially in Europe, uh, in the U.S. Now it's 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 becoming a big big thing as well. Um, but I do think you know certain standards are filling with Michelin, um, which I appreciate about it. And you know it is it's damn hard to to get a Michelin star. Two is incredibly hard, and three is almost impossible. So um, it's. It's something what chefs have to be clear when they open a restaurant, do I want this or not? And I think this is a question uh, which many chefs ask themselves. Uh, if you don't have Michelin stars, it doesn't mean you have a bad restaurant. Not yeah. at all. 
and I do think that some people don't understand that it's it's you position yourself differently. But if you want to go the route of mission stars, you have to be aware that these are the certain standards you have to follow to get to that point. And it's 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 really uh, it's really about uh, doing your research. What what the outcome of the rest is supposed to be? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well said. And I think, yeah, it's. Um, I mean, I'm always. I I've said this on the show before. Like, I think I like celebrating restaurants, and so and so. I think these. This is like you know. I'm happy for the restaurants on the list, and and it's it's. But it's you know it's it's their lists and they're subjective and there's lots Absolutely. you know. So um, and. I, I also just w- want to note they said they have Michelin um, introduced green stars um, and that awards it's an award that recognizes the culinary excellence uh, with outstanding eco-friendly commitments and I thought that was that was a cool thing they said they introduced I think in 2020 that they're mm-hmm. now giving as an addition to the red stars because I think that's uh, tremendously important now yes. moving, moving forward now I mean it's it's it was a uh, Blue Hill uh, started everything up here in the in the in the New York area, and, and I think it's such an important thing that we're really going that route. Sustainability is is, is not just a word; it's really important in our, our business to to follow through on that. Uh, restaurants uh, create the the biggest waste in a lot of ways, or so hotels. So if we're not going to start there, uh, where are we going to start? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um... So yeah, people can check out this list. I'll give a couple shout outs to uh, Manresa and Los Gatos, David Kinch restaurants, which is, he's announced that um, is closing at the end of the year or moving on, but he's on the three-star list. And uh, Atelier Kren, San Francisco, Dominique Kren's restaurants, three stars. And and Naka in Los Angeles, Nikki Nakayama is two stars. And I'm selfishly giving myself a little plug with that as well, because I have a big announcement. That I'm segueing into, which I've been holding back talking about now for over a year, almost like a year and a half. I've been working on a project and it's a book and it's a book coming out um, in the spring and it's called Chef Wise, Life Lessons from Leading Chefs Around the World. And it's with Fiden. They're my publisher. And um, the the chefs I just named are part of this book. And it's I have 117 chefs around the world that I have um, curated this book with, um, gathering their advice on different topics between philosophy, inspiration, business, cooking. Um, There's 14 chapters, and it's been a big passion project and kind of a a dream project um, for me to work on because I, as anyone listening to the show knows, I love restaurants, I love chefs, and my travels around the world has really helped prepare me to do such a book. because I have, there's there's contributors including Massimo Botoro and Virgilio Martinez and Enrique Overo um, all around the world and other U.S. chefs like John George Von Richten and Alice Waters. So I'm very excited about it. Um, I will be talking more about it now on this show. Um, but I this is this is the big big announcement. If you want to check it out, you can go to Fiden.com. You can look for. Uh, chef wise you could just type that in or go to amazon.com and same thing um, chef wise all one word and also i have a page on amazon amazon.com backslash author backslash sherry bayer um and i'm very excited about it as you can tell and um yeah so there you go chef wise new book (laughs) congratulations thank you thank you it's um 
Yeah, I just I just put the news out on social media, and um, the word is out. The Can't wait to out. read it. Thank <laughs> you, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Um, so now it's time for my solo dining experience. So this week I went to a restaurant called Jupiter. Here is the rundown. The location: six twenty West Fiftieth Street, lower level, Rockefeller Center, New York City. The concept. It's a new restaurant featuring pasta and wine from regions of Italy. The owners, the team behind the restaurant King, which is in Soho. This is Chef Jess Shadbolt, Chef Claire DeBoyer, and Annie Shi, who handles the wine program. Executive chef there is Gaz Herbert. Why'd I go? Well, new buzzed about place and I'm a fan of King. So my experience, so I had a reservation for one last, uh, I think it was last Tuesday, and um, when I arrived, it was actually it was in Rockefeller Center, and there was, was a lot of lot happening down there. And I realized they were pre-taping for the big tree lighting ceremony the next night. Um, so apparently, Alicia Keys was in the rink uh, performing right when I arrived, and the restaurant is literally on the lower corridor, like a, like there's windows you could see across to the rink. But um, anyways, there's a lot happening there. Um, I checked in, my table wasn't ready yet, but um, I told them I was solo, they knew that. So I opted to sit at the bar, and the, the space is, is cool because it's um, it's like a, a U-shaped, bar that's like the bars on one side and then it whoops around the corner and the kitchens on the other side it's an interesting setup so i was in the in front of the bar like close to where i'm saying whooped around the um to the other side and i had a really nice server um help me decide what to get i could watch him making drinks while i was dining there um i saw annie who was on the floor we had a nice time chatting i also ran into an industry friend sabado sagaria who was celebrating his birthday and so that was cool so i had a good experience uh what did i get i got the carchifio al juda or judea um, which is fried artichoke of Rome. And I got the spaghetti con botargi di Mugin. I'm, I know I'm butchering these names. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, and it, that was with a Sardinian gray mullet roe and chopped chili. And then they gifted me dessert. They got the, I got the pasta chini, which had some biscotti and truffles and candy orange in it. Um, and also the bartender made me a non-alcoholic version of Beretta, which was um, very nice to have um, with my meal. So my take, well, the fried artichokes were terrific, uh, perfectly fried, I guess you'd say, um, squeeze some lemon on it, really nice. Um, and the pasta was great. I'd say it's a little bit funky because it's like, it, it's a, it has this fish row with it. So it, it, it grew on me with every bite and it was really delicious. And the cookies were great. I took, I took most of them to go because I couldn't eat them all. Um, so it was great. The ambiance, it's 140 seats, uh, restaurant as again it's a u-shape and with the open kitchen on one side and the bar on the other it has red marble actually the stool i have to comment the bar stool i was sitting on was like very interesting it was i mean it's a high stool but it was like a cushion i'd say but it didn't have a back it was kind of like it was interesting um i mean it, it was comfortable but it was different than what i've seen it was very stylish i'd say so the design is stylish uh perfect for dinner with friends interesting tidbit Jupiter is another way to say king, and the restaurant is a part of a major restaurant U-Haul that's happening in Rockefeller Center. 
Personal fun fact, I recently also went to another restaurant in Rockefeller Center that's on the other side of the rink, and that is Naro, which is a Korean handsake tasting menu, and that's the team behind Attaboy and Automix, including J.P. Park and Elliot Park, and J.P. is in Chef Wise. I'm excited about that. The cost of my meal was $46. That's not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes. Many more pastas and items on the menu to try, many more desserts too. I was eyeing me of a chocolate sorbet that looked really great. Um, so I will go back and their website is jupiterrestaurant.nyc and the Instagram is jupiter.newyork. There you go. Have you have you had time to make it to Rockefeller Center? Not yet, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I will, I will. Greg Beckstrom just opened a restaurant there too. I know, yes, I just saw ago. that. It looks incredible. Can't wait to go. I feel... And I might be wrong, but I feel like that's the last of these like big, big new restaurants, which, you know, big name chefs going in. But um, yeah, it's been it's been amazing to see these changes. And um, yeah, Jupiter's only been open a couple of weeks. Yeah. So. La Roque is, I think, was the Rock, first one. Yeah, I went yeah. to actually. It was fantastic. Yeah, La Roque was there. great. Beautiful and, design as well. Really and welcome. Lodi on the other side. Yeah, um, yeah I really like La Roque and... Yeah, this is this is I think a place for um it's a little it's a little more casual I'd say than Laroc, like, you know, to get some mm -hmm. pastas and good wine and and you could take a spin ice skating afterward. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I, I love Restaurant King. I mean, I went there many times. It's always great. Yeah, yeah, me too. So, well, congratulations to them. And um it's time for the final question. So, my next guest is Carolyn Schiff. She is the executive pastry chef at Gage and Tolder, which is a historic oyster and chop house and their history. They opened in 1879, closed in 2004 and reopened in 2021. And I've been back there and um, I really, I really enjoyed it. Gage and Tolder. And she's also the pastry chef at Sunken Harbor Club, which is the nautical cocktail bar they have on the second floor. That's kind of hidden, but um It is, it is a part of this restaurant group. So Carolyn's going to be coming on the show. And this is all this, the restaurants in downtown Brooklyn. So Marcus, can you please ask a question for Carolyn? Question for Carolyn. Uh, first of all, I mean, you know, as everybody knows, I'm all about desserts. And I'm all about uh, ending the meal most, most of the time with desserts. Because I mean, think desserts are the most important part for, in, any, in any meal I, I go out to. And... As well as Coloman, I think Gajan Tolna is very similar in terms of like taking old ideas and old uh, uh, recipes and making them sort of in a way which is uh, today. And I would just like to know from her how, how what's her thought process about the dessert she has on the menu currently and how she developed them and brought them into into now. Excellent. I will find out. Her desserts are really they're great. Yeah, I am. So are yours. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the most the important thing. I, I love pastry chefs because, you know, pastry chefs had a hard time in the last couple of years because the first thing any any, any restaurant yeah. tour did was getting rid of pastry because everything got so expensive. And I think even with Coleman, we did exactly the opposite. I wanted to have the best possible pastry chef to to lead my uh, pastry program or our pastry program. And, you know, it, it's, it's sort of coming back, I think. People would like to see a nice dessert and even if it's a dessert to share it's it's something it shouldn't be missed in any meal i agree i mean to my speed round question i go i you know i do dessert over cheese plate but um 
yeah, it's um, it's nice to end the meal with the with the with the good sweet. And so I will I will ask her and find out. So I did have her on, and been very happy to have you on. Very exciting to that you came out here of to course, Brooklyn in Thank person. You. Busy guy, and. I really appreciate your time and congratulations on all your success. Thank you so much. And I hope I see you soon at Coleman. Yes, I will be back. I'm due. I, I, I feel, I mean, I came with a friend last time, but, um, which I may do again, but your bar is also very inviting in the front. You know? We open at four o'clock, it drinks, and then at five o'clock we serve food. So anytime. Are you going to start doing lunch or brunch at any point? Uh, we started brunch already okay. and we will do lunch as well, but probably going to be uh, early January. We're going to start lunch, but Saturday, Sunday, we open for brunch and it's a beautiful sort of Viennese yeah. uh, uh, Parisian brunch. Amazing. I will be back and um, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And I will see you soon. My guest today has been Marcus Glocker. He's the chef and partner at Coloman in New York City's Nomad Neighborhood. His Website is kolamanrestaurant.com. Again, that's with a K. And follow him at Marcus Glocker. Also all Ks. You're, you're yeah. <laughs> there, is there something, there's something with that. <laughs> um, I'm saying Marcus with a K. Um, and at Coleman NYC is their social media. And you can follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry and my websites are BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com and AllInTheIndustry.com. All our rushes are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Armin. Thanks again to Marcus. So next week, I actually actually have a special on-the-road show that's going to be covering the Worlds of Flavor Conference in Napa, which I was at in November. And the theme was Africa and the World. And I have two interviews on for that show. It's going to be with Pierre Tiam and Zoe Ajonia. And... Um, then my show, then I'm taking a break for the new year and holidays. And then my show with Carolyn Chef will be on January 11th. So stay tuned next week. There is a new show, but just like, so you know, my show with Carolyn's not till 2023, which is hard to believe. We're almost at the new year. Um, and uh, thank you for being all in the industry. I'm your host and producer, Sherry Bayer. Um, I'll be back with the show next week. Take care. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.